It's not for fame or fortune that most deem necessary. No, I invest to don a crest for work less ordinary. Nor be it want of medals, cap or polished shoes, but a calling to help others who have everything to lose. To face hell's dancing angels and suppress them with each stride. To search resolve from deep within as loved ones weep outside. To stand with pride and dignity as comrades we remember. Be it pipes lament that fill sad air or silence in September. And may those names that have been etched in brass or granite stone haunt me in the darkness so I never fight alone. And if a colleague's head hangs low from tasting tragedy, let me offer up my shoulder for them to lean on me. But when amazing grace is played, alas, for none but me, lower the flag, but raise a glass, for I'm not far from thee. I'm gathered with the old flames, looking down from God's great height, on call if aid be needed to join you in the fight. Welcome to the Fit to Fight Fire podcast, and today we're here with Brian Abbott. Brian, thanks for taking time out of your busy day. I know you're playing zone defense at home with the kids. You're, you're, you got a lot going on there. So we appreciate you taking time out of your day to kind of share a little bit of what you went through. Uh, what I'd like to do is uh, have you share with the listeners a little bit of your background as a firefighter. Um, share a little bit about your family. I know you're a husband, you're a father. Those are important roles you play uh, in this world. But man, we're just happy to have you here and uh, looking forward to hearing your story. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. It uh, means a lot to be on here. I've listened to you for a long time, so it's uh, kind of sobering to <laughs> have this experience now. So I'm excited. <clears throat> well, buddy, talk about your uh, firefighter, your your background as a as a firefighter. I know you worked for a couple different departments. Share a little bit about that. I know you're also involved in in training. Um, so. Yeah. We'd like to hear about that, and then I want to hear a little bit about your family. Okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, I started kind of the fire service about 03. I took a, a vocational program in high school. Um, I was already interested from a pretty young age, 14, in an explorer post. Like, I, I kind of knew what I wanted to do and just trying to figure out how to get there the fastest. So um, passed up a military opportunity um, because I got a fire job, um, took that fire job. It was for a small township I lived in. Um, you know, worked there for almost 10 years throughout my career, you know, and decided to part ways at one point. Um, ended up getting hired at another township that's a little larger. Um, it's about 25 square miles, ran about 3,200 calls when I left. So a pretty busy department, um, you know, EMS heavy, uh, not a ton of fire. You know, I always find myself kind of searching for that fire experience, um, as everybody does. And, um, you know, I also found myself kind of becoming more passionate about the fire side and, um, learning how to invest more in the craft and be better at my job because I just kept feeling this calling and this, um, almost like a burden of, you know, you, you're not, you're not doing enough. You can do more and it's out there. You got to go find it. Um, so, you know, I started teaching for a local college, Akron university here in Ohio. Um, did a little bit of school there for, uh, the, uh, they're like, uh, some of them are Akron fire employees that are going through a academy and some of them are just kids coming out of high school. So it was a pretty big mix. Um, taught for them for a little bit, um, kind of caught up with Gary Lane. Uh, we hit things off. Gary's like 40 minutes from me, which is awesome. Um, super good dude. Like still one of the best guys I know, you know, and when it comes to training, Gary's, you know, second to none, he's, he's one of the best. 
And um, we started uh, doing small stuff together and uh, kind of Gary kicked off the DIY engine class and that kind of got some uh, some traction. And we started hitting the little, you know, micro conferences um, and, and uh, met up with some of the guys from Brothers in Battle. And we were just kind of really impressed at the uh, the caliber of Cody and, and the people he surrounds himself with. And uh, not only that, you know, but, um, you know, his his love for God and, you know, his mission of how he's always driving forward to, you know, make sure whatever he does is pleasing to God. And I think that that was incredible. And, uh, you know, a couple of years later, they asked us to be part of it. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> it was, that was awesome. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, I did that. Um, you know, things still weren't going good at my department. We'll, we'll dive into kind of what I went through to get there. But um, I ended up leaving them last September. Um, which was a huge leap of faith. I was there 15 years. I was a lieutenant for five. Um, you know, it was a big pay cut. Um, went to my current department, which is the city of Elyria in Ohio. Um, and man, I love it. It is, it is still one of the few fire departments in Ohio. Uh, you know, and it's, it's old. It, I mean, it's, it loves its tradition. It's got search culture. It's got, it's got everything, you know, you need and they love to train. Um, so it's been awesome. Um, it was, it was really hard. It was, uh, it was a learning curve. You know, it was weird going back to being a new guy, but, um, I think, uh, I definitely was given the patience through what I went through and, uh, some more appreciation of what I went through to, uh, get there, you know, and now, you know, that's where I'm currently at. So riding backseat, uh, you know, and it's, it's good stuff. <laughs> I can relate, buddy. I know what that's yeah. like. It's, uh, it's always good to find that place that kind of fits your priorities. And, um, you know, that's part of maturing through the fire service is we all, we all hold ourselves to a certain standard, but it's also okay to hold your fire department to a standard. Um, unfortunately, a lot of fire departments use the minimum standard and that's really what they uh, kind of hold their members yeah. to, but they do hold us to a standard as firefighters and they should, but man, we get the right to hold them to a standard. And as you mature through the fire service, and you get some years on, you got, you kind of see what's most important to you. And that that's good to hear, man. I love hearing that you're in a place that fits those priorities and, and meets your standard. Talk a little bit about your, um, your wife, your children. I know being a dad and a husband are really important to you. Yeah. So I have, uh, (laughs) got five boys total. Um, I got two boys from a previous marriage. They're, uh, 16 and, uh, 13 now. So, um, they're with me, you know, typical shared parenting type thing. Um, went through a divorce, you know, ended up getting back together with my high school sweetheart down the road. Um, we had three more boys together. So um, it's uh, there. She's now we're at 10, um, eight They They all just changed. So this summer, <laughs> eight and six. So um, but yeah. they're they're fun boys. They they keep me busy. They are uh, go, go, go nonstop. You know, want to play sports, want to do you know, always into something, always breaking something, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they're a blast. Yeah, man, it's uh it's amazing. We were talking recently about marriage and parenting and how much that teaches you. Like it's, it's like the the most important drill gr- ground of life. Like just everything you learn about yourself. And typically I know me, I have, uh, you know, things I want to accomplish. I become selfish at times and uh, yeah. marriage and being a father, man, it kind of strips you of those things and, and teaches you to be more of a servant. So uh, that's a, a big responsibility for all of us. And it's, you know, being a firefighter is amazing and there's an oath that we take and there's a, a level of accountability, but I can't think of a higher level of accountability than the eyes and ears of our children. And I don't always do the best job, but it's that, yeah. that pursuit of trying to be that example. Brian, talk about, you know, you, you said you were at a department and 
things kind of went sideways for you. And uh, I know what that feels like. We've had this, we, you and I have talked about this um, off the podcast and, you know, you try to give your blood, sweat and tears to an organization and you, you do everything you can. And then sometimes you just feel like, man, it's, it's just not going the way I want. And it's not due to lack of effort. You're not the guy sitting at the table complaining without any of the solutions. You're actually in the trenches trying to make things better. And at some point, you know, you get to a, to a, a road and you either go left or you go right. It's a fork in the road and you're, you know, obviously you made a decision. Talk a little bit about what that experience was like and how that kind of played a role in, in your mental health and, and what that did for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I found myself after I got my fire instructor, um, just like I said, craving that passion to do better. Um, I wanted not only better for me, but for my department. Um, I could see where we're at. And uh, I mean, being the giver, given the opportunity to travel and go to different conferences and see um, what others are teaching, what other depart- fire departments are, are, are their standards and seeing these things, it's like, well, we're, we're in a bubble. Like, what are we doing? We, we need to do better. Um, and I know we can. You know, I, I understand it's going to take time. You know, I'm willing to give it that time. Um, so I did. You know, I, I pushed training heavy. Um, tried to deliver the highest quality training I could to the department. Um, had the opportunity to promote, promote it to a lieutenant. Um, I got through that first year, and um, I just realized, like, this, this, this isn't going where I want it to go. I feel like we're going backwards. Um, went through a chief change. Um, you know, and, and it was like, no, no, like all my work, it just feels like it's sliding off the cliff and it's like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. So beating my head against the wall, you know, what do we do? We're stubborn. We just push harder. Right. So as we push harder and invest ourselves deeper and deeper into the job, something's got to give. And that's when your family starts to suffer, um, your home life, your mental health, your physical health. Um, you know, and, and we get a lot of guys that always ask me like, well, what are red flags that somebody's not doing well? And I'm like, well, we talk about fit to fight fire, and let me tell you, I'm no pinnacle of health. I'm working back towards where I was, but I can tell you my diet changed, my weight gain increased. Um, those are the red flags. Like from a guy that's very passionate and very invested in the job, if you see those things but he still seems okay, check in on him because I think that's a big buddy check right there. If you want to do the buddy check thing, check in on that guy because if you see those significant health changes, those are, I think, the first indicator that something's wrong. Um you know, and you'll notice sleep pattern changes. If you've got the guy that's, you walk out through in the morning on a call and he's already wide awake in the truck, you're like, what were you doing? He's like, oh, I couldn't sleep. Sleep pattern changes are also big. So um, if you're looking for red flags to check in on guys, I would say those are your number ones just off the top of my head here. Um, <clears throat> just seems to be something that people ask a lot. So, uh, but for me, experience all the same things, diet changed, sleep problems, got a sleep study. They threw me on a CPAP. That was their first fix. Um, Seemed to help a little. Sleep got a little better, but I didn't get any better. Um, began gaining weight, began eating crappy, um, kind of going for those comfort foods. And, you know, just uh, in a way, you know, eating away some of your depression. And at the time, me sliding into depression where I was, um, you know, I felt like it was a slow slide into it. But, you know, according to my wife, my wife's like, no, she goes, I've been dealing with this for, for years. And then all of a sudden you just plummeted. So it was, it was very sudden, I guess, when it came to the point where I needed help. Um, but leading up to it, it just me pushing away from my crew, me pushing away from maybe the department, me kind of get to the point where I'm like, I don't even care about training. You know, I just, whatever, I'm just going to get my paycheck and go home. And uh, you become, you know, you become that person you never want to be. And, um, 
you don't realize it, I think, entirely because you're in that survival mode. You know, you are doing what feels best for you. You are suffering, so you're going to do whatever you can to make yourself feel better. And that's where, you know, you get into things of dopamine. That's where we get to drinking. Um, I definitely got heavy into drinking. I would, I would definitely drink um, to numb out and to just not feel bad. And, and that would be easy to do. Um, I've never went to work drunk, but on my days off, it was, you know, fair game. You know, whatever I wanted to do. Um, and it's it's very easy to do in our society. It's so acceptable. You know, you can go anywhere and get a drink. You know, it's it's just, it's okay. Um, so that, that makes things hard, especially when somebody's struggling. Um, you know, in 20, I think it was 2011, I had an active shooter situation. Um, several dead children, um, you know, eight total. Uh, body count, it, it was bad. It was really bad. It was, um, we were the first two squad on scene, essentially the first triage unit. We triaged everybody. Um, you know, there were, there were some moments where we weren't sure if there was a second shooter or not. Um, we went in. Uh, we were applauded for it, but we were pretty exposed. Uh, if there would have been a second one, we would have been sitting ducks. Um, so that, that was pretty scary. We, we had a, uh, I think after that event, that's really where some of the mental health and trauma things began to just kind of blend with the depression and my disappointment and where my career was and the department was. And uh, it is just a compounding domino thing. And, um, you know, as I kept rolling downhill, you know, I found myself just mourning for these two girls that I missed in the initial triage. And that was that was devastating. I ripped my guts out um, Their Their grave was like three blocks from my old house. And I would actually go to their grave and sit there and bring a bottle of whiskey with me and just like cry my eyes out and try to just plead for forgiveness from them. I never got anything, you know personally, or at least what I thought, you know, and I was praying for the wrong reasons and doing the wrong things. And so, you know, at the time it seemed the right thing, but unfortunately you see, it's just self-destruction, you know, and, um, I think that's that evil seeping in. And, um, so it, it's tough stuff. It still gets me a little choked up to talk about it. I did a lot of work on that, but, um, I still, still mourn for them. You know, I, I think that's difficult. Um, but yeah, as things, you know, went downhill, started to go a little farther. Um, it was, sorry, on the date here, I want to say April of 21. Um, I was really like, just hated everything. And I was just like, there's no joy left in life. It was sucked for me. Like I didn't want to get up the, um, you know, a lot of the, and people say signs of depression and I had them all, but you know, me personally, like, Oh, I'm not depressed, you know? <laughs> and, um, Doing the dishes, um, playing with the kids, um, that stuff was absolutely overwhelming to me. Um, it was like an undaunting task. Of, I would look at that sink full of dishes, and I, I couldn't bring myself to do it because I was just like, nope, I'm just going to go outside and have another beer. And, um, you know, that that's hard to see what I put my family through and put my wife through. And, um, and I didn't know it, you know. And, you know, it's one of those things where, even if somebody would have told me, I don't know if I would have acknowledged it. So that, you know, so it's down, down, down. Um, realized at that point I was contemplating suicide. I'm like, you know what? It'd be way easier just to check out and be done. I, you know, I know I could do it somewhere where it'd take them days to find me and people, it would be people I didn't know, you know, that I, like I was planning out to that point, like, but you know, to put that trauma onto somebody else, um, you know, now where I'm at is like, man, but what a horrible thing to do because I just created the cycle over again. Now there's going to be more responders struggling, you know, especially when they find out, you know, who I was or if they, or if they knew me, you know, the fire service, everybody knows somebody. You know? <laughs> and um, so that, that's hard to think about. Um, 
So I reached out to a local peer support group, um, and it was a guy that I worked with. Uh, he worked for us part-time, great dude, um, for Ohio. And uh, he got me in contact with counselors. Um, I downplayed it pretty heavy, so they didn't, you know, snatch me up immediately. They just slowly rolled me into counseling. Started going once a week. Um, counselor was awesome, super good dude, retired fireman. Um, was also a police officer, I believe. Guy was great. Um, but going once a week, insurance would only cover once a week. Um, it's very expensive and, um, it just wasn't enough. Like I'm going and I'm like, man, this is, this isn't adding up because I know where I'm at and I see where these counseling sessions are at and I feel like I'm never going to get there. And, um, I'm like, it's just, it's just not enough. I need more. And there really was no answer from that, um, counseling group. It was like, well, you know, you can pay out of pocket. I'm like, I can't afford that. You know, it's, you know, why, why is mental health so expensive? You know, it's a difficult thing to, uh, for the family and you you have somebody that's already suffering and doesn't want to work. Like they ask them to, to work more to pay for their mental health problem. It's, it's just a, uh, it's a terrible, terrible formula for disaster. Um, so as I saw things going down, 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 I just kind of cut the cord on counseling. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll figure this out. Um, you know, kind of loosely looking for another job. But I'm like, you know, there's no way I can leave. They're, you know, the, the pay's too well here. I'm going to hurt my family. Um, you know, come August, um, I came home from some, uh, we were doing my, we homeschool, like I told you earlier. Um, it was a homeschool event. Came home, put the kids to bed. I went up to the garage and, um, you know, popped that bottle and started drinking in the garage. And it was probably midnight. And I was just like, I was done. I, I could feel it. And I was like, you know what? Turned around, kind of looked around. And I was like, you know, saw I had a forced entry prop built up through a rope around it. I kneeled down on that rope and just started to watch the lights go out. I mean, it, it was pretty bold. And, uh, as this was happening, um, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> I had a, uh, a male voice. I mean, scream at me. It felt like it almost grabbed me by like the back of my brainstem and, um, told me to stand up and it, it scared me like goosebumps, tears, you know, I was, out of control of my emotions at that point. Um, so, you know, I kind of like stood up and I, I was definitely like slightly disoriented. I was literally looking around in fear. Like I thought somebody was in the garage with me. I'm like, there's no way all the doors are closed and locked. Like, and, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm like, Oh, so I like stumble over to my phone, um, text my wife, some, it was kind of a, you know, a drunk message, of course, uh, didn't make a ton of sense, but it was enough to let her know that something was wrong. Um, you know, door pops open. She comes in. I'm already laying on the floor in a heap. Just can't even get up, like bawling my eyes out. Don't know what's wrong with me. And I'm trying to tell her and, you know, she walks me into the house, helps me get in bed. And, you know, she's, she's terrified now. And, um, that I am, she, she's a saint for what I put her through. Um, she, she's definitely one of the strongest women I know. I can't believe, uh, still she stuck with me and went through a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about here, but, um, yeah, she got me in the house. She didn't know who to call. So she actually texted a guy I do side work for, um, who's a fireman. And, uh, he reached out and got some numbers going, um, and some stuff started to go in place. But then, uh, she, I believe called Cody and, uh, I, you know, kind of tried to pull myself together and go to work the next day because my wife thought that was the safest place for me because she didn't want to leave me home alone. Um, so, so I went to work and I, I knew I was in no mental state to be at work. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of, Got through the day, kind of laid in bed all day. I didn't do much, you know, ran a few calls. And uh, Cody called me that evening 
And, um, you know, he was like, Hey man, how's it going? I'm like, well, not good. You know, I'm assuming you're calling because things aren't going well. Um, he's like, well, he goes, so you're going to need to go get help. He goes, I got the help already set up for you. He goes, I just need you to say yes. And I'm like, Oh, you know, okay. You know, where do I need to go? And he's like, you're going to Maryland. Uh, we got you into the IFF center of excellence. You're leaving Monday. Um, this was like on a Friday and I'm like, Oh, okay. For how long? A couple of days. He's like, no, probably till as long as it takes, but at least 30. And you know, it's like, what? 30? Like, no way. There's no way I'm going to Maryland for 30 days, leaving my family. And, um, he, he definitely, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines, are you really helping your family right now? And I was like, oh, like just gut punch. You're like, no, absolutely not. I am worthless. And, you know, obviously a danger to myself now. Um, and, and I need help. And, um, being able to admit to that is, uh, I don't know where I got the strength to do it. It was like, Oh, you're so strong. And I'm like, I don't know where I got that strength. And, um, I, you know, Brian, now I know it was God. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go back to the garage. <clears throat> so you're in the garage and that wasn't your plan when you were in the garage. Initially, you just had the, the alcohol and can continue to consume the alcohol. But that just brings up a point when you're already in this place where you're contemplating suicide, you're feeling like a burden to your family, I can only imagine what it was like when you would come home from a place of work that you weren't inspired by, and now you're tired and you're, yeah. you know, your, pa- your patience with your wife and your children yeah. that just compounds. Like I'm a bad husband, I'm a bad father. Like it all yeah. just kind of makes you feel worthless. Like I'm, I'm no good to anybody. Now you add the alcohol in the garage and you consume it, you consume it, and you get to the point where it's like your ability to make decisions is going to be compromised and you're already in this state. It just, it kind of just was that perfect storm, man. And now yeah. you're using a door prop, which is what you use to teach people how to yeah. do a job that you're supposed to love. Right. Correct. Think about that. Like the door prop yeah. that you, you, you use to teach people a skill that saves lives is now going to take your yeah. life. Ones I build is the the, ones, you know, and it just, <laughs> it's just like, man, how do you, and now you're, you're, kneeling down and you hear stand up and stand up is so like those words relate to so many areas of life, right? Stand up. Yeah. Stand up. Very, I mean, oh, it just, the, the vividness and how loud it was and, and how it, it hit me. You know, there, there's nothing. If you ever said you haven't heard God, like that, that was God speaking to me. I mean, you, he literally could have picked me up. I felt like it was, it was that vivid. And, um, you know, I'm grateful because, <laughs> you know, he knew it wasn't my time. Um, and I was by myself and I thought within my own control, but as we know, God is always control and he's always, you know, going to be there when you need him. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that's where faith comes from. And it's like, <laughs> you got to have the faith. Well, you get that phone call and I can't believe you went to work the next day. I can't even imagine going from that moment, hearing that voice, sending your wife that message but that's how bad it was that your wife felt like that was the safest place for you. And you go to yeah. work and I can only imagine what that shift was like. I did. I, you know what? I wish I would have talked to those guys because I don't know. I don't remember it that much because I was just that checked out, um, which is scary because then I put my guys and one of the, you know, some of my good friends probably in, in possible danger. Thankfully we didn't get into anything, but um, that's uh, that's selfishness. And, you know, um, it, it's hard yeah, it's it's just definitely hard to see that you would be okay with that, you know, just because where I was at. It's 
yeah, that, that's a hard one. I, I, I still hate to think about that. You know, there's a lot of stuff I put people through, and, and that's one of them that just really still bothers me. Well, it was where you were at, man. Your headspace yeah. was allowing those things to be okay. And like you said, I think you explained it perfectly when you said you were in survival mode. Like I can only imagine how long you were in that survival mode and it never different. Two years le- according to my wife. So yeah. Different <laughs> levels. She was like, You've been gone for two years. And different I was levels like levels of that, you know, just yeah. the things you're doing just to get through the day. So you say yes, even though you didn't want to, you say yes and you head out to Maryland. Talk about the whole experience and, and what that. Yeah, I will. Like. Um, it was hard. Like, you know, I had to obviously go have that conversation with my chief too, before I left. Um, so that was, that was tough too. I had to drive up in person and go sit down in his office. And at that time I was just so broke and like, just sad. Um, I was just a sobbing mess in his office. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. You know, I don't know what's wrong with me. And, um, but I was going to kill myself last night. And of course he's like, what, you know? And, and he's like, well, maybe we should just take you down to the hospital. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like <laughs> I got this in order. Like, let me do my thing. Um, um, so they checked in, um, the, uh, the assistant chief there did a really nice job of checking with my wife and making sure she was going to be with me the whole time. Um, so you know, that I was safe. Um, we had some friends offer to come get any guns out of my house. Um, so a lot of people, um, I didn't realize stepped up in the background, um, that I never knew were helping me were doing stuff. So things were in motion and they were for, you know, they really cared about me, which was so nice to hear now. Um, but I think at the time, if anybody would have told me they were taking my guns or like, I would have lost me, lost my mind. So, you know, but, um, yeah, so I get to that conversation, I walk out and they put me on FMLA and, um, just started packing and I got my packing list, um, talked to uh, a guy that went there before he kind of helped me give me a few more things which was awesome to um make sure i had everything you know that i needed um and i was gone my wife drove me down there we stopped at uh kind of kind of weirdly but cool um at the tomb of the unknown soldier and just kind of stood out there and just reminisced it was a beautiful day and uh you know i kind of had an opportunity to kind of chill and relax and i was like all right i'm ready like let's go let's do this you know and it was it was definitely a metal thing to to get into and drove through those front gates and I thought I was going to have a, like a heart attack, like just crushing anxiety. Um, uh, you know, I'm like ready to go the other way, you know, a cat going into water, you know, I'm like, no, no, this is, you know, maybe we shouldn't, you know, <laughs> my wife's like, no, right to the front door, right in the doors. And that was it. And I was like, Oh man, like, this is, this is real. This is heavy. Um, people are awesome there. They treat you so well. Um, I felt like I was going to be, you know, in an institution, maybe locked up. Maybe I, I didn't know what to expect beyond everybody says it's cool. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so um, they, they process you, they get you through um, the admission process, takes a little, you know, maybe an hour or two. Um, and then they get you over to, um, I don't remember all the terms right now, so forgive me, but um, an observation area to make sure you're not withdrawing from substances um, where they watch you 24 seven, your vitals are checked, you know, typical medical stuff, but you're, you're not locked in. You're, you're, everything there is voluntary and you could always leave. Um, but you know, to do the work, you got to stay the whole time. There's a lot of people that left early and ended up coming back a second time. So, um, you, you have to stay to do the work. Um, once you get through that observation period, it's usually three to seven days. Um, you know, they treat you, they start medicating you. Um, I was very anti-medication, um, talking to the counselors there and things like that. I'm like, Hey, I don't need meds. You know, I need help. And they're like, well, this is, this is the first step of getting help. Um, we understand your concern, but you're not sleeping. 
you're depressed, you're having suicidal thoughts. We need to get to the root of something to get started. So um, they ended up getting me some sleeping meds, um, some anxiety meds, got me to a state where uh, you're starting to work through, you know, getting that. If people who've drank heavy in the past understand the alcohol cloud, you're foggy. Um, nothing is sharp on you. Everything is kind of fumbly and you're just not thinking right. You're in the wrong state of mind. So breaking through that, getting to a place where I could start to help myself also and absorb the resources that they're offering me. Um, so that was cool. Um, after that first week, you get moved to actually they're like station houses and it's fire station living essentially at that point. So you're in station house, whatever. Um, there's, you know, how many bunks in there? There's a kitchen and a day room. Um, from there, you can um, cafeteria as many times as you want. I mean, they, they feed you whatever you want, whenever you want, which is cool. Uh, when you're, um, you know, either withdrawing from stuff or those medications, um, you just you want to eat all the time. I, I don't know what it is, but, you know, put on a bunch of weight there, unfortunately, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, I was working on myself still, so sometimes we got to look past that and, you know, realize that we still got to fix the brain before we fix the body. <laughs> um Got involved with uh, trauma groups, so they, they put you on a path of either substance or trauma. They felt like my path was stronger with trauma because of the events I went through, um, put me in trauma groups, and that's, um, I think it was two days a week, we worked through it. You literally sit in front of a group of peers and work through your trauma, and it was like, it was horrible. Um, you know, the experience was terrible. I did not want to relive that event. Um, but getting it out there, get, seeing it on a whiteboard, um, working through a lot of the things and a lot of, you know, as they call them cognitive distortions, um, things you think about yourself, things you think about the event, things you think you could have changed, blaming yourself, you end up putting a lot of uh, realization of what actually happened, black and white. There was no way I could save those girls because you knew the wounds were incompatible with life. Um, you know, and it's just, it literally just lays it all out. You have it all in your notebook and you're like, wow, like that was crazy. And they, um, they give you the opportunity where you do it enough, you can actually take any traumatic event and work through it in a notebook yourself and actually work through that, which is which was really neat. Um, and then you're assigned an individual counselor. Um, that counselor will work through um, pretty much your whole process with you. So your therapies, your treatments, um, where they think you need to go, where they think, you, you know, there's exercises, there's uh, gratitude journaling, there's, um, you know, and when you're there, I guess I left out that part to, to rewind, but... Um, you go to class six days a week during your first two weeks there. So your class, you know, Monday through Saturday, and it's eight to four, and then you get Sunday off. Um, as you graduate to the next level, you go five days a week. Um, and then from there, you know, some people can go only two, but um, I just maintain the five days a week till the end. So, and it's continuous um, classes of uh, trauma therapy, um, there's art therapy, there's, um, there are all kinds of stuff that I had, you know, I had like an art therapy moment that just crushed my soul, which was crazy. You know, the lady's like, here's a box of magazines. You're going to cut these up and make a collage about your marriage and your family. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, is this really going to help? Like, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> and, uh, get halfway through just a bawling mess. I am a wreck. Like everything in that collage jumped out and grabbed me. And it just made me think about my wife, think about what I put her through, uh, realize how fortunate I am, um, how grateful I am for my children, how much I miss them. Like all those emotions, just like, I'm like over a stupid magazine flush. <laughs> so that was pretty wild to see how, how good they are at infiltrating into that, you know, that shell you've put up and starting to soften it and getting to, you know, where they need to be. Um, 
you know, I also found my time there just because you have the freedom to be outside. Um, and the weather is beautiful. Thankfully, um, you, I don't know, there's, it's a very, I don't say sterile environment, but very stress-free environment. It's very, uh, relaxing. It's, there's a, there's really no burden of being there. Once you settle in, um, you can really feel that, um, kind of that healing start to take place and, and really feel that like just that burden drop off and that shell of just anger and everything you came in there with just starts to dissipate. Um, and it's incredible. Um, I actually, I have a journal entry. I don't know if you want me to share it. It was like 16 days in. I yeah, thought it was fairly please. interesting. It was very vivid. Yeah. Um, go ahead and share that if you don't it. mind. Yeah. yeah so this great. was September 16th of 21. Um, so it says 1223. I, I kept good notes <laughs> right at lunchtime. Um, and it says, uh, Today has been an enlightening day. Seeing small homework assignments fall into place into a much larger picture is inspiring. The ability to put it into words and uh, then for, sorry, my handwriting's messy, <laughs> then for somebody to truly acknowledge it and understand it, I find it so empowering and so overwhelmed with emotions because I feel the fog and the barrier completely lifted. The saying, the sky is the limit, seems a real thing to me. I feel warm and refreshed. Listening to the song, God Only Knows, uh, lyrics sticking with me today. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what you say about you. God only knows what's killing you. But there's a kind of love that God only knows. The feeling of healing and numbness is shedding from my soul, and it's awe-inspiring to me. Finally, relief. Life breathed back into me. Finally feeling true love for the real man buried in this battle-worn cocoon. I don't want to forget my wounds because they have made me who I am through suffering and hardship. Though what God knew I could handle, I want to be able to carry my scars proudly without shame and burden. Sorry. I want them to shine through as a beacon of faith and be a representation of God's light. I was designed to charge towards darkness and protect his herd. I won't be able to save them all, but I will be the light for the ones God wills me. I am one of his shepherds and one of his warriors. I am picking up my armor but still searching for the pieces. I must press on, wounded but not out of the fight. The strong hold the line while I collect myself to rejoin them. I am coming, brothers. I am coming. God, please grant me the strength to push forward and press on in this fight. Grant me the strength to carry your light to the front lines. Help my legs carry my spirit directly into evil. Grant me no fear of that evil that lies ahead, but of what evil should fear for me. Help me deliver the salvation to the front lines. And then in big letters, I have, today is the day you take your life back. Today is the day you start. You have been forgiven and are free. I would say most of those words are not mine. No, and that's, you know what? (laughs) You give God, man, you could hear it in those words. I can feel it when you read them. You you gave it to God. And that's that's a hard thing to do for all of us when we're such... We're the problem solvers, man. We're the people that they call 911. And we love the fact that we have a problem that we have to solve. And gosh, when we can't solve our own, um, it's a heavy, a heavy burden. It's a weight that we carry. And uh, yeah. when you give it and to we, God. We add weights to it. You know, we add family. We add, uh, you know, what we think the department can be our responsibility now. And we like very well put um, that moral injury. You start suffering a moral injury. Um, and it's, it, it's undaunting and it, it will take you out if you're not careful. Um, and that's why, you know, the emphasis on mental health is just, it's so big right now. And we, there's just a lot of cliches and you get a lot of people there. Oh, I can't believe you had the guts, you know, to do this and say that I'm like, 
you know, it's sad that it takes guts to say I need help. Um, you know, it shouldn't be like that. It's a terrible thing. Well, you it's know, that whole it idea. Should... We're, we're all broken, man. Every one of us listening to this podcast are broken in some way. And the thing is, some of us just do a better job hiding it. And the more you hide it, the deeper it gets and the harder it's going to be to pull yourself out of it, maybe to a point where you're like Brian and you make a decision after consuming alcohol to do what he was going to do. And um, we're all broken. Everybody listening yeah. to this, you're not by yourself. You're not alone. Uh, there's plenty of people out there to help you. Uh, and Brian is now one of those people, which God had a purpose for your life. And this was part of that purpose, as painful as it is, when you give your pain purpose, like you're doing now, coming on this podcast and sharing this is incredible. Only God could do that. He's he the only yeah. one that could write this story. I, yeah. And I'm, you know, his plan is obviously still not done. And, you know, I was, I was nervous as heck to come on here. Like, I just, you know, I'm like, oh man, like this, this is a lot. Um, it's hard to put yourself out there like that. Um, but I know this pleases him and this is the work that I need to be doing now. Um, and he's given me this opportunity and, you know, it, it, no, do I do it right every day? Heck no, I, I don't. <laughs> but do I try and try to check myself and, and recheck and make sure that I'm going in the direction I should? Yes. Um, I've definitely made some mistakes along the way here still. And, uh, you know, it's it, as long as you can try to stay on track and, and constantly keep that in mind that in what I'm doing here is a pleasing to him. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's a big thing that keeps me, you know, on track every day. So, man, it's a, uh, it goes back to that. I mean, I know it's hard for you to come on here and, uh, we, we are so grateful that you have the courage to do that and you're willing to share your story, but it, you said it best. I know it's what he wants me to do. And, it's the idea of like what God, what God knows about us is so much more important than what people think about us, good or bad. Like we could be at the top of the mountain, you know, or we could be down in the dumps just based on people's view of us. But when we're doing things to honor God, neither one of those should really matter. Like we should never yeah. get too, too high on our horse and we should never get too low and uh, I feel like, man, you're in that in that place right now because for you to be able to come on here and share your story is you're doing it to honor God and to be a light in a dark place for so many of our brothers and sisters today. Um, right now, there are people in the fire service contemplating suicide as we speak. Yeah. And uh, yeah. here you are, man. You're you're sharing. You were there. You tried to do that. You heard mm -hmm. the voice. God spoke to you, and you're writing a beautiful. Journal entry, which you even admitted that's not my words. You ever, you're like, I'm just not capable of that. Like that's, yeah, that's real God. That's God's work, man. Like, let's not lose sight that's of that. Open that's heart. that's yeah. so important that you're in a position where God could speak to you because you're seeing things clearly. So take us from there, man. You're now, yeah, you know, so making your way through the program. You're, you're seeing things clearer. Your faith is getting stronger. You know, yeah. talk about that. I had uh, a lot of good um, experiences, made a lot of good friends there. Um, you know, it was, you know, uh, fortunately there was somebody there I also knew and that, that helped me a ton because we could really relate and talk about, and I was kind of blown away. I'm like, why are you here? And he's like, why are you here? You know, kind of like, well, you know, I'm glad we're here together and get to experience this together and, you know, it'll only build our friendship, which is cool. Um, so, 
yeah, working through that, you continue your classes and things like that. Um, they recommended me doing EMDR, which is like a uh, either a light or you can do vibrations, things like that. But it you know pretty good, pretty much gives you the opportunity to recall your emotions and memories through your amygdala, relive them, and try to rewire them so they don't have such a triggering response like when you get triggered because PTSD, you know, trauma, things like that, things get triggered. Um, you know. Social gatherings were a trigger for me. Like, I hated social gatherings. Like, I either need to be heavily drinking or, you know, not go. Um, and that was uh, a big thing of that withdrawal. Um, so they, they worked on that, um, you know, and I, I had to go through that whole trauma event again. So this is probably the third or fourth time I've had to go through it. Um, and the continuous exposure is, is what's making this better. Um, once I got through that, um, that, that was a pretty wild ride. Um, there was three treatments. Um, the first time you literally relive all the emotions over again. Like I was crying, shaking, like I couldn't even believe what I was feeling. It, it was awful, um, to say the least. But, you know, I left there. I was like, I'm done. I'm going to bed, like completely wiped. Um, laid down, woke up the next day, and I actually felt like significantly better already. I'm like, what was that? Like it was just an emotional dump purge all these terrible evil things you've seen and um at the same time i think me being able to have my heart soften while i'm there with god him reaching in like everything's rolling in the right direction of where he wants me to be um so just continue with the treatments so i did by the third one it was kind of a piece of cake to get through and i had some pretty like vivid things with that too and i remember like a very specific thing of me standing outside my house my family sitting on the couch and i couldn't get in the front door and I'm like looking in the window and couldn't get in the front door. And that was like, that was a very weird experience. And I can only explain it now as it was God showing me that, you know, the barriers I put up and, you know, what I needed to fight through to get to them. And, and they're right there. I just need to get through that front door. And uh, that was, that was pretty wild. Um, again, stuff I, I don't think I'm ever capable of thinking of or putting together, but you know, it's, it's very vividly given to me and um, being able to interpret it. My heart was in the right place for that, which was cool. Um, so we, yeah, continue through the process. Um, towards the end, I was there 36 days, I think, total. Um, and they decide when you're good to graduate, you have a lot of like an end of the year assi- or end of the month assignment. you got to work through everything. They make sure you think you're good um, to the point where like my counselor had handwriting um, experience from the FBI. And she could actually tell like if my you know answers were legit due to like consistency of my handwriting and stuff. And I was like, whoa, like they're not messing around. So. um gave me the green light um you get to graduate so you stand in front of all your peers um they have a big ceremony you get a coin um you get the opportunity to tell the new people coming in um kind of what you went through and what what will help them get through the experience and uh like that was it i went back packed up my stuff and my wife pulled in and you know cried again there's a lot of emotions (laughs) she picked us up and uh drove me back home with the kids and everybody was there and it was uh yeah, it was awesome. You know, we, it was definitely one of my favorite experiences of my life, having that opportunity to almost have a second chance with them. Unbelievable. Cause when you think about it, when you're in that <clears throat> moment where Cody's on the phone with you and what is it, three or four days? And he's like, no, it's probably at least 30 days. Yeah. And to look back on that now and say it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I want people to hear that. I want you to hear that no matter where you're at right now, you know, right now you can't even imagine putting yourself through a program like that, that you're nowhere near that. But listen to yeah. Brian say it's one of the greatest experiences of his life. And in that pain, you find that you found joy, right? And joy is what we're looking for because joy is not based on circumstances 
alone. That's happiness. But joy is based on the fact that you know ultimately who's in control of this whole thing called life. And that's God. Yeah, and absolutely. no matter how good things are going, you may have the wind at your back running downhill, or you may be running uphill with the wind in your face, not thinking you could take another step. It's all purposeful. It's all it purposeful. Is. And God has a plan for your life. And to hear you say it was one of the greatest experiences of my life is, man, that makes me so happy because it tells me that your perspective right now is there. Like you're seeing yep. that all the things that are going to happen to you in the future are going to have purpose that you're going to be able to put into a place that's positive. Talk about your wife. Like she's home with the boys. Like you're yeah. gone for how how many days total? Is, 36. Is, yeah, that was yeah, total. That's, that's an amazing, so, amazing woman, man. That's incredible. She's incredible. She, like I said, she's one of the strongest women I know. She's, she's been my Christian rock. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> the one that always is kind of hurting me to stay on the narrow path. And she, she's, she's the best. Um, yeah, she held down the four. She never complained once. Um, she, you know, I, th I think she wanted her husband back too. So, you know, that was, that was a big deal. Um, she, you know, we talk a couple, t couple times a week. Um, there was like phone time you get, so you could, otherwise, you know, you don't have a phone there, which was great. Just to say, if you guys are ever thinking about relieving stress from your life, turn your phone off every once in a while. It was pretty awesome. <clears throat> um, yeah, we talked back and forth. Um, she's never, like I said, never complained. Everything was great. Um, she would mail me stuff every once in a while, which is cool. She made, mailed me a really nice Bible, um, ended up gifting it to somebody else and got another one. <laughs> but that person still has that Bible to this day and we still talk about it, So, which is cool. So, right. you know, having those opportunities um, to share your faith and um, invest in somebody else too is that's, that's why we're here. That's why we're doing God's mission and, you know, doing what's right, you know, in the eye of God. Um, but, you know, get home. Um, the work wasn't done. Let me tell you, and there was a lot of challenges and stuff getting home. Um, I was still, I think my emotions were still high. Um, I was kind of walking on eggshells coming home. You know, I felt like there was still some sort of transition period that it was very awkward. Um, trying to come back in and like, oh, this is me now. I'm normal after she lived with, you know, kind of a piece of junk for two years. Um, so she's a little leery about everything, I think. You know, so still doesn't quite trust me. Kind of worried I'm going to fall back, slide back. Um, so that was hard. Uh, but I stuck to it. Um, you know, kept investing. Um, we kind of sat down and like, you know, I need to come up with a plan. Like one of the big things they talk about there is um, identity being a fireman, having that identity, maintaining that identity, leaving that identity. Like that's a big problem for a lot of people. And, um, you know, I said it when I talked to Grant, uh, in his podcast, it was, you know, most people identify you as a fireman. Like you don't get to go to a party and get to be Brian. You get to be, Oh, that's Kelly's husband, the fireman, you know, it's <laughs> so that's a tough thing for people. And, uh, to be able to transition out of that and, um, you know, think about, well, maybe I'm not going to do this anymore. Maybe, maybe it's time to hang it up. Um, and I had a pastor friend of mine kind of tell me the same thing. He goes, maybe it's time to go, man. Maybe it's time to do something else. Um, and I was initially devastated because of how you know passionate I am, how much I love the job. But at the same time, I was like, I don't know what else to do. Like I, so I, you know, did some things, had some opportunities come up, had a uh, rope access job come up for like windmill stuff. Um, I was a tech guy. So it had been a really easy transition for me. It was good money. Um, I prayed about it. And for some reason, the interview, or the interview fell through and I never talked to the guy and, and, down the road, you know, looking ahead, that was a, that was a blessing in itself. Um, and, uh, it just set a, set a timeline. I'm like, I'm going to give this place six months. 
um, and see if I can stick it out where I'm at currently. So you're talking about your, depart- for, your department, your department that you're with, yeah, the, the one that you're department. with, yeah. When you yeah. when you that last shift you worked, yep. Um, and then you went to the center of excellence. Okay. Yep. So that department, I was going to give six months when I came back to see if I wanted to stay. Um, I made it three. And I woke up at like three in the morning for my fifth nursing home call, and I'm like, nope, there's no way. I, I'm going to be right back where I am in a week if I keep this up. Um, and I got a text the next morning. You know, ironically enough, hey this place has got lateral transfers. You should check them out. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> okay. That is not ironic. That is yeah. not ironic, Brian. We know who that was. Yeah. yeah, brother. I say that That's... sarcastically. Sorry. I know. I know. I know. I'm giving you a hard time. That is incredible. Yeah. I'm like, all right. So, you know, put in for it, did it, had to go buy a suit, you know, do all the things. I got an interview, um, you know, walked out, didn't hear anything for like five months. I'm like, Dah, you know, bomb that one. You know, figured nothing. So August, I would say ironically again, <laughs> the following year, I get a phone call. We'd like a second interview. I'm like, okay, great. Hung up the phone. 20 minutes later, they call back. You know what? We're going to skip the second interview. Do you want the job? I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> this got real in a hurry. So I'm like, I need 20 minutes to call my wife. So, you know, hang up, call my wife call her back. And she goes, why didn't you tell him yes? And I'm like, well, I wanted to ask you first. <laughs> so um, she's like, yes, absolutely. So call them back, tell them the sure thing. And they're like, all right, you're going to start end of September. Um, go ahead and turn in your notice. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> like they, they full go ready, ready to put guys on, which is cool. So yeah, I continued to, uh, and in the meantime, I, I was still doing counseling, still working through things. Um, you know, I had to do a psych for pre-hire. Um, I was I was nervous about it. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I'm broke, but I was broke. Like, how's this going to relate? Like, maybe I'm going to bomb this thing. Like, just the anxiety. I was just waiting for the rug to get pulled out from under me. That was the biggest thing. Did At any point, did you feel like, <laughs> did you ever have this feeling like, if it's meant to be, it's God, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. God. I kept trying to think that, but I felt yeah. like God was pushing my patience to the breaking point. I was like, yeah. I can't be any more patient. Like, if I don't get this, there is right. nothing. Like, and that's yeah. where I, I started to like, Almost felt like I slid back a little there. I was like, there, there's nothing. And I'm like, you know, it was just a terrible feeling. But, um, you know, we worked through through that. I kept praying and I kept trying to be patient. And, and I was like, yeah, we're doing it. We're going for it all in. And uh, I did it. Got hired. Um, you know, that's I started September 26th of last year. So getting near a year there already. And uh, it's been great. Like I hit the ground running. Um I think I came in with a good attitude and a good demeanor. Um, I have, that's my personality in general. So I'm not that guy that's going to come in and try to flex on guys that have been doing this for a long time. Like, no, I'm all ears listening. You know, I have some skills, but hopefully you find them out as, as time goes on and not me telling you about them. So, um, we, uh, the guys are just treated me great from the get go. Um, they were really respectful. Um, I know many of them, you know, when you deal with a lateral transfer or something like that, um, you know, they, they're wondering, you know, are you the problem or are they getting somebody, you know, that is running from the problem or trying to get away from the problem? Um, that A lot of guys had that question, you know, and they didn't want, you know, some turd rolling in that was the problem and now it's their problem, you know, and they're that, you know, kind of protecting a, their own. That's a pretty common concern in, in conversation that I hear is like, why would you leave? Why would you leave your fire department? Why would you ever, obviously, it's either the fire department is having issues or you're the problem. And I think more and more you're hearing guys like yourself and other guys that have done that, that are 
stand up guys they are into the job. They got a positive attitude and they're making that decision. And it's just like we talked about earlier. It's okay to have a standard for your fire department and all those who are in those positions out there who are hiring lateral firefighters. I encourage you to think about it that way. Like these firefighters are looking for what your organization has to offer. It's no different than a professional athlete who in free agency finds a team that runs the offense or likes the coach or likes the resources that that organization has. I encourage you, if you're somebody who's in that position, hiring laterals to think of it that way, because they're seeking you and your organization and your, and your firefighters. That's a, you know, take that as a, as a compliment, as an honor. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you had somebody like me coming in with, you know, 15 years on and uh, taking a demotion and, you know, a huge pay cut. Um, you know, it says something there. So, you know, and it says either they, they really want to be here or, you know, they're, you know, either department is a huge problem. I mean, there's, there's something that's got to give. And you know, it says said, also like, he's not doing this job just for the money. <clears throat> like if it was about the yeah. money, he would stick it out, collect his paycheck, go home and forget about the place. But he mm-hmm. wants to do the job at a high level and yeah. he's invested. The I couldn't job do that. Yeah, I need that opportunity to serve others, and I want to serve them in my full capacity to being, you know, like I said, a warrior for them. And that's I want to continue to be that as a fireman, as a man of God, as a as a father. If I can't do that, it's not going to work. Yeah, I think that's a great. That's a whole other episode in itself. Yeah. You know, just <laughs> yeah, maybe you and I, maybe you and I, being two firefighters that stepped away from organizations for specific reasons, could could have that in the future. So you're back awesome. home. You're back home. You're trying to kind of find your way, kind of get back into the routine. You know, yeah. what, what does that continued, uh, look, what does that look like? Like, what does that plan look like? Like, what are you, what are you doing early on? And then bring me to where you're at today. So early on, I was uh, continuing my counseling. I was still on some uh, depression meds, um, you know, trying to, it was almost in a way, find my feet to where I could find myself truly enjoying my job again, my happiness. Um, I was happy to be home. I was happy with my family. Um, I didn't have any of the anger issues or anything I had coming home, which is cool. Like that was just gone. It was, and it was, it was so nice to not have that anger anymore. Um, so before I got hired there, I was actually able to wean off my counseling completely and they were able to get me off all my meds and I was doing great. So I was, you know, fully functional, hundred percent, no meds, no counseling, like in a very good headspace, um, very positive, not having any bad days, um, you know, and, and it's where I wanted to be. That's where I wanted to work towards. And I reached that. Um, but the, the old place was still dragging me down. And I knew that was the last thing, you know, I need to cut the cord. So, and I, you know, fortunately did that, um, moving forward to where I'm at. Um, I think it was a great experience for me to really have to humble myself, shut up and be the new guy. Um, because it's a very different perspective when you've done this, you know, for, almost 20 years now I've done it, um, sitting back and you're kind of, kind of take it all in differently and you see the personalities and you see the people and you, ha- you can really address and appreciate the culture and how things are done. Um, and I think when you see how they're done and you're, you're very proud of it, you're like, Oh man, like every day I'm like, man, I made the right move. This place is incredible. Like it's, it's so fulfilling. Um, and they're, they're so mission focused and they really do pe- put the people first all the time. And, to see guys jump up and run out the door, um, you know, almost pushing each other down to get to the rigs and get there quickly. It's like, oh, it just warms my heart because that's where I was designed to be. And that's where the people I want to be, I want to work with. Um, so that continued support with them, um, that continued, um, 
kind of camaraderie and how they treat me um, just just has boosted me incredibly and just made made everything kind of come together. Um, and allowing this has also made me realize, you know, my physical condition is not where I wanted to be. I felt, you know, like I said, you almost forget about it because you're so worried about fixing yourself mentally that, you know, a lot of guys are like, well, you should have been in the gym. I'm like, yeah, I should have. Um, I got no excuse, uh, but I can still change that, you know, and I can still get back to it, um, to where I was before I started. So, you know, I've been working on that. Um, been trying to lose weight, you know, eat differently. Um, Kyle Beard from North Carolina has helped me a ton, sending me um, some great stuff, routines, getting me set up. Um, so kind of diving into it and working um, towards my physical aspect, which I know will just increase my mental, you know, capacity and um, just the ability to do the job. And, and that's, I want to be back to where I feel the people I'm serving deserve, you know, what I'm giving them. So, and, um, or, or I guess deserve what they're getting from me. So, you know, I, I want to be the best of my job that I can. So that's, uh, that's, that's where I'm working now. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, still, still struggling with, you know, routine and stuff because it just, it's hard five boys and trying to find, you know, I find myself trying to wake up early and I feel terrible and <laughs> um, try to do evenings and it's, it's a balance, but um, I'm going to keep fighting for it and try to get back to, you know, the condition that's, you know, where I should be. And what's nice about it, man, is you're in a place, a headspace right now where you're able to make that a priority. Where in the past, like you said, survival mode, it's hard. It's hard. And everybody has a maintenance program at some level. Uh, I remember after the theater shooting, I really went heavy on the on the fitness. It was just like like that anger and that frustration and all that stuff that I was holding up. I just happened to go super deep on the fitness. Like yeah. Three times, three times a day. Right. Like, so to the yeah. outside world, it's like to the outside world, it's like, ah, that guy's getting after it. Like you said, the alcohol is socially accepted. The working out was my, was my outlet. And I, I recognized it after injuries started showing up and things of that nature, but I happen to have that as part of my maintenance program prior to experiencing that call. And one of the things I try to encourage people to do, especially early in their career is have some sort of maintenance program that's healthy, have something in place that you could go to. Because if you're trying to figure it out on the fly, a lot of times it's going to be the alcohol. It's going to be the yeah. you know, the late nights, the, the, the things that just add up and don't put you in a position to think clearly. The alcohol, the lack of sleep, poor nutrition, all that stuff compounds to get you into a position where you make a decision that could be the last decision you make. So have that maintenance program in place. Faith right? Family, reading good books. You and I have talked about it, Brian, our inputs, the things that we intentionally allow into our brain, the people we surround ourselves with, the books we read, podcasts we listen to, the things that we're, the inputs are going to create our output at some level. You know, if you're watching, if you're watching the news all day, you're going to think the world's going to end. How is that? How are you going to walk away from that feeling good? So I agree, man. I'm excited for you to, to continue to, push forward. And, um, now that you're seeing things clearer and is that something like now when you look at today, right today, uh, what are some of the things that you lean on that your skills that you were given in, uh, the program that you could potentially utilize today? You already have, you might be feeling down, whatever that is. Yeah. Like what, what kind of stuff are you? Applying? I struggled, uh, with a lot of self-confidence stuff. So, uh, positive, you know, um, reassuring yourself with positive thoughts, things like that. Um, those, those have been very important to me. And that was something I struggled severely with. I, I had a very low view of myself and my self-worth and what I was. Um, 
you know, people, I think a lot of people that I've met would say I'm confident, but I'm like, I, I view myself as the bottom of the barrel. Um, it was a hard thing to work on. And I still, it's something every day I try to work on, like, you know, you're, you're worth it. You, you know, you can do this. You keep putting your effort into it. You know, you're, you're not, you're not a piece of junk. You're, you know, you're not a turd. Keep pushing. Um, and th- those things, um, staying positive about it and, and working towards, you know, that higher goal um, is just, I can see the growth, you know, but it's slow growth, you know, it's not yeah. overnight. And I, I think too, yeah, like when you lose that discipline or routine, it's, it's very hard to get it back. I didn't realize it would be so hard to get it back. Um, I didn't realize once again, wait, it'd be so hard to get it back off. Like um, it, it's, it's a lot of work. It's like, man, I, when I get back to where I want to be, I never want to be like this again, because it's just, it, it's, it's consuming time that I shouldn't have to give away now because of, you know, my past choices yeah. and that stuff. Well, I'll tell you, man, it's uh it's the difference between listening to yourself and talking to yourself. Listening to yourself is allowing those negative self-defeating thoughts that go way back to like childhood, man. You know, somebody said something to us that has net, we've never dropped it. Or, you know, I had uh, an experience with a teacher early on in, in school and I recognize that was holding me back from a lot of things. And it's a difference between just listening to yourself and saying, nope, here's what I'm going to say to myself. I've been here before. I've had success before. I've been through difficult times before and I made it out the other side. I've dealt with stress in a positive way. I've made good choices before and not focusing on all the bad stuff. Instead, you're like, I could do this. I got this. And uh, I think that's a great, a great skill to have that positive self-talk. It's such an important part, even on our job, right? How many times have you been on a difficult call and you're like, I got this. Yeah, that's not working. Okay, plan B is not working. Yeah. Oh, guess what? C is not working either. Okay, yeah. here we go. We're going to figure this out. It's the same thing in life. It's like, this isn't working, but I could move on to plan B. I could move on to plan C. So I love hearing that, man. I'm so I'm so happy you're here, man. I'm so happy you Thank made you. it on the other <laughs> side. Too. And uh, the world needs you. The fire service needs you. But more importantly, uh, God needs you to share this story. God needs you to do his work. That's why he put you here on earth. And your family needs you, and we're so we're so happy you're here, man. How how can somebody who wanted to reach out to you? They might be struggling. They might be looking at going into the same program you came out of. Like, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, so um, I could I'll just give you my phone number. Um, it's three three zero six eight seven 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 four nine. You can call, text me if you get screened. Sorry, um, I'll call you back. Just leave me a message. Um, I've helped. I would say over dozen people now get into the coe um get them some packing lists get it like at least talk to them about it tell them my experience tell them what you know the family's going to go through um so i you know i think that's a big deal um, those guys need that reassurance that their family's going to be okay and that um you know how to how to kind of build that that buddy system of who's going to take care of their family when they're gone um you know i gotta you know be super thankful um the guy my senior fireman I used to work with jeff Cohn. um he, he really checked in on my family constantly sent them pizzas um like man what a great dude um and i can't you know to this day we're still great friends and uh, i miss them to death but um, those kind of people are going to be very important during this journey um but absolutely reach out to me talk to me um you know if you don't want to tell me your name that's fine i i'm i'm not looking to you know sell anybody out or give any secrets um but if you want to talk heart to heart about it and get you know see what you're going through see if the things i went through you might be able to relate to um, absolutely. You know, let's, let's chat. Um, I have all the time for you. Um, I can, you know, make an opportunity to chat. 
Um, I, I'm on Facebook, but not, not as much as I used to be. I kind of got a bitter taste of Facebook and, um, you know, it's okay. You know, I, I would rather just have you call me and talk in person. I think that's so important. Um, we don't, we don't do that enough. Well, brother, we appreciate you, man. I, um, from the bottom of my heart, I know this conversation is going to inspire people, help people. And that's the whole purpose of this is to take your pain, the pain that you went through, give it purpose, be a light in the darkness for others. And you've done that today. And I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Do you know what? It's crazy. It was like 1250. And I'm like, oh, I remember that journal entry. I got to go find that. And I'm like, thread my room apart. <laughs> and I found it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do a very good job the first time. So. <laughs> yeah. Very vivid. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is all all public knowledge. <laughs> okay. If you're looking to improve your mental and physical fitness, join our community. For only $5 a month, the cost of a cup of coffee, you'll receive a workout of the day, seven days a week. A daily inspirational message, seven days a week. A monthly training. But more importantly, you'll be surrounded by a community of like-minded firefighters, all on the same mission to become the best versions of themselves so that they can serve their community and their families at the highest level. Head over to patreon.com backslash fit to fight fire and join our community.